You've just heard the opening portion to a beautiful composition titled Shaking Like Milk, written by John McLeod of Rose and Cloud. John has graciously given me permission to use his music as part of Poet Kind Podcast. I look forward to sharing it with you, and I can't thank John enough. Today is Wednesday, November 20, 2019, and I literally just asked Alexa how many days are left in this year. 42, which means there are only a couple of episodes left. If you're a regular listener, you know that Poetkind goes on hiatus for the holidays for a few reasons. To focus on being present with family and friends and, of course, all the yummy food. How can you not be present for that? But also for some planning. For now, we have a great interview today and one or two episodes before we officially close up shop for 2019. Today on Poetkind, I am welcoming... Megan Lucas. She is the author of Songbirds and Stray Dogs, one of my favorite summer reads this year. So she has agreed to join me and welcome, Megan. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Susan. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Um, I, I have, I'll go all fangirl on you. I absolutely love this book. I have oh. a thing for Southern fiction because it has that little bit of darker edge. So it made it really fun to read. Um, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the book in your own words and yeah, we'll go from there. Oh gosh, okay. Um, well, Songbirds and Stray Dogs is really this, um, the story of a, a young woman named Jolene who finds herself in just a, a really difficult predicament. She um, she's been abandoned by her mother as a child and has grown up um sort of under under her aunt um who's kind of stingy i i like to say with the love she's she's difficult to please she's a little bit um cold of a woman um and she she's clung very tightly to some pretty strict um religious beliefs and so jolene has has been raised um in in a way that she's just hungry. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, uh, like I think so many of us, she ends up falling for the wrong guy and ends up pregnant and eventually alone. And so it's really her search for for home and for safety and for family. Uh, and along sort of that course, she bumps into to other characters of, of yeah. course, because it's a novel, and and some of them um, are terrible, of course, of course, <laughs> and some of them um, have wonderful aspects, but of of course they're real people, and so yeah. you know sometimes um, they're disappointing to her, and so I, uh, she sort of just takes this journey, and and I've been told that it's uh, Southern Gothic, I've been told that it's Southern Noir, I've been told that it it might be women's fiction, although there isn't a lot of romance in it, because um, that's just not me. Uh, but it's, I think at the heart of it, it's a story about um, family and small towns, yeah. and sort of breaking out of a mold that other people place on you, and, and finding yourself. I hope, I hope that's what it's about. That's yeah. My oh, I, I, I got that from it. I, I, it was very deeply about family and how your definition of family may not be what you think it should be. Right. And, you know, her own blood family kind of just really lets her down and doesn't 
treat her like that. And then all the other family connections she makes along the way in the most unexpected places. So I loved it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, you know, that you're writing from this, this Southern literature tradition, but you are not from the South. I am not. I'm, I'm Canadian. And uh, I've, I've lived in Michigan for a number of years, and that's where my husband is from. And we, uh, you know, around 2008, uh, the economy in Michigan was not so great, and I was a teacher. And so we uh, decided to escape the snow and the economy of <laughs> south. Um, and I really embraced, I've always been a reader, and I really embraced sort of the Southern tradition and fell in love with um, Lee Smith and Ron Rash and, and some of these really wonderful Southern writers. And so I think um, I only really came into my own or started writing about five years ago. And that's who I was reading. Okay. When, and so I've, I think that that had an effect. But also, I haven't lived in Canada for like more, more than 15 years now. And so I, you know, all my Canadian friends are like, wow, why aren't you writing about us? Like, why aren't you <laughs> writing about home? And I, and I am, I'm absolutely writing about home. Right. I, it's just that I'm also writing about my new home here in the South, uh, because that's, you know, where I live and that's what I hear. And that's sort of, you know, when you go to the grocery store, people don't talk like me. Right. Um, and and so I I that's what I wanted for my characters was to sort of be able to breathe that yeah that, you know the everyday life into them and and that, that is my everyday life now like my my children have southern accents oh. uh, you know? <laughs> so I don't yeah um, but my children do and my students do and and my friends here do and so uh, yeah. you know I, they've adopted me I guess so oh, I I adopted good. them <laughs> oh good good well and. It, when you're talking about a theme of home, I think you can transplant the story almost anywhere. It just happens that this one's in a Southern setting. Right, right. And I heard, um, I've, I've told the story before, so probably your poor listeners are bored of me talking about this, <laughs> but I, I overheard this conversation in a, in a coffee shop between a, a woman who had recently found out she was pregnant and, and the man who had been <laughs> cause. And he was, very certain that it was not his and she was convinced that it was and so um you know they had southern accents when they were talking behind me and I was eavesdropping on them and so I just it felt like it had to be here yeah right that that's that's where this girl whose life was falling apart um was gonna live and so I I also just I mean the majority of my stories are are written from here because this is what I see but yeah, I I do think that you know that um, proximity helps, right? Like, yeah. um, and I I didn't want to have to do a whole lot of research about what things were like, and and well, I, I guess I'm living the research, right? Right there, you go. <laughs> so, oh, write what you know, right? Yeah, write what you know. Yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of kind of backing into this. I should have asked you a little bit more about yourself at the beginning, but I was just so excited to talk about the book. Um, you are from Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do besides writing and how that influences your writing, those sorts of things? Sure. I, um, I am an 
adjunct instructor. I, I teach English composition at a community, uh, I did a technical community college here in Western North Carolina. And I love it because I get to meet just the greatest, coolest students. Um, and so I would say that certainly their stories and their voices are reflected in my writing. I had one student a couple of semesters ago who was an orderly at the hospital in the um, emergency room. Mm. And he would come to class every week and he would tell me how many dead bodies he had seen. Mm. And it was just like, th this is like the best story. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so great. Where would I ever like hear these stories um, other, other than, you know, in, in that kind of setting. So um, I, I also teach English. I'm also the, the fiction editor at Barron Magazine, mm -hmm. um, which uh, is, you know, a labor of love. Right. But it's just wonderful getting to to read so many stories and and to amplify as many voices as as I can there in that position. And I think it's made me a more careful writer, a more careful submitter, um, mm -hmm. because I I see what what I get and what annoys me about submission. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it's also um, it's been really it, it forces you to read, right? And, and read really broadly because I don't get to choose anymore yes. what, I, what I read. I, it shows up in my inbox. And so um, I think it's made me a, a, perhaps a more interesting writer and, and has sort of made me realize how many of my stories have really similar themes and that if I could break out of that a little bit, my writing would probably be a lot more interesting. <laughs> if I could, if I could break, tear myself away from southern women in trouble <laughs> probably be a lot more interesting of a writer but i also i'm also a mom and i have two um smallish children uh my daughter willa is eight and my son is six so, so you've got your hands full i have my hands full yeah yep yeah so this is your first novel, is that right? It's my first published novel. First published um, novel. Okay, I there's have, a story there. What? <laughs> I have another one, and it is terrible. Um, oh. so, <laughs> I <no>. doubt that. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's a learning experience. It, it's funny when, you know, when you start sort of being serious about writing. Um, I'm going to close the door here for a second. My dog is being a jerk. Um, you know, a lot of websites talk about uh, doing the work, and I don't think that um, a lot of a lot of beginning writers really understand what that means. And you know, it means that not everything you write is publishable, right? And that a lot of times, um, things that you're writing, things that you think are brilliant in the moment, are really more like learning experiences. Mm, that's and great advice. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's really hard to think about when you're writing, right? Like nobody wants to sit down and work on a piece and think, well, this is just an exercise, right? This is just for me to learn how to do dialogue better. Um, but you might get to the end and be like, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this. <laughs> or you might send it to a bunch of fiction editors and they might be like, you know, <laughs> I'm you wrote a lot of words. That's I'm great. Not sure about about this. There's a lot of words here. <laughs> so my my first novel, um, I was in love with it at the time, and I got to the end, and I I wrote an ending, which uh, it can for me is one of the hardest parts, like pulling all of the 
pieces of a novel together and I was I was really proud of it and I had beta readers and people even said nice things about it and then I went to sort of do the final polish and I realized that almost like 95% of the chapters took place in a car mm. and I was like oh huh um this is not so interesting of a novel. <laughs> so you know it's it's 90,000 words of you know exercise yeah so yeah, you know, it's, it's Do you not, think you'll ever go back to it and try to retool it or, I think or does it, it just serve as that reminder in the bottom of your drawer that <laughs> I think it's possible that there are conversations or pieces that could be recycled as short stories, you okay. know, maybe, um, but I, I think that the plot is flawed. Um, and that's one of, I think the things that you have to write to the end to yeah. discover right okay. that this is maybe actually just like a really long um character sketch and not yeah. like nothing actually really happens or not enough happens yeah. uh to get to get, pull someone through this story so i do have a, i do have another novel um that i i took a couple of years uh to write but i really think of it more as a, a training exercise yeah yeah Okay, so now you said you've got another novel. You just I'm working on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have I have this work in progress novel called Mercy, and um, I just finished. And I'm going to put air quotes around finished <laughs> uh, the first draft when I was at the Good Heart Artist Re Residency in Michigan, and I just want to give them a shout out because that is such a cool, yeah, cool opportunity. Um, and they're taking applications right now. Um, it's just a wonderful opportunity for artists and writers to get away for two weeks in way northern Michigan uh, in the middle of nowhere and, and just have quiet and um, focus. But I, I quote unquote finished the, the draft of, of Mercy. It's 20,000 words short. That's why I say finished because okay. I, I did write through the end and I think I filled in the plot holes, but it's not technically long enough for for a novel and so uh thankfully i also had lots of good brainstorming time there to sort of figure out uh what how to fix that yeah. and um one thing a writing teacher like ages ago told me is that if you're ever too short don't add description mm -hmm. add complication because I, I think a lot of writers do that right they're like oh i need if i could just add one paragraph of description to every chapter this would be long enough and but <laughs> I mean, that makes your story really boring, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I kind of discovered Mercy, again, is it's another uh, Southern woman, sort of in trouble, uh, complicated mom issues. <laughs> and um, she has a port wine stain on her face. And uh, that's sort of the heart of the novel, that she has some of these um, issues based on her appearance, but it's not, they're not really her issues. They're kind of everyone else's issues. She mm -hmm. doesn't see her own face. She doesn't really care what she looks like. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's about that really complicated relationship between mothers and daughters. And um, her grandmother is also in the story. And I discovered, oh, hey, I bet this would be cool if she had some of her own chapters. So mm -hmm. then it's really about two mothers and two daughters instead of, um, you know, just one, one mother daughter. So I'm yeah. very excited about it. If I ever had any time. To finish <laughs> it, it would, it would be 
comes. It comes. You'll, you'll find time here and here and there. I hope so. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm really curious as I'm listening to you tell these stories about your characters, what is your process like? I mean, besides absorbing where you are and, you know, being present in, you know, moments that you get a chance to, to witness and then taking those in and using them. Do you have, you know, for my non-writer listeners or my non-novel writer listeners, what does your process look like? Do you do complicated diagrams? Do you just take notes or is it more intuitive? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, for Mercy, I saw, I was in Sevierville, Tennessee with my family for Thanksgiving, I guess two years ago. And this woman walked into the diner and she had this just really dramatic um, birthmark. And I couldn't stop thinking about her, about how her life is different than mine. Um, and how, I mean, we were, we were talking before this started about how I had to put my eyebrows on just <laughs> before we like Skyped each other. And so, you know, obviously like I, I am a tiny bit vain and um, I spend a lot of my life like thinking about diets and hair dye and what I look like and, and trying to um, portray myself in, in a particular way and how much my life would be different if there was something about my physical appearance that always eclipsed anything else I would ever do. And um, I just kind of started thinking about that. And, and I wish that I, I know that there's lots of writers who have like these very beautiful worksheets, you know, that they fill out on their character about their character's favorite color and, you know, what, what they want to be when they grow up. And, and I'm not nearly that organized. Um, I think it sort of just comes out more of, uh, it, it's probably far less efficient, but it, I, I just write a lot and cut a lot and yeah. sort of feel my way through. And in some ways, um, I heard it. I heard it said at a, at a panel that a lot of times main characters are really more a reaction, you know, that you have to sort of find your way through and discover as you put them in these situations, what they would do. Whereas secondary characters can have sort of some more action, right? Like, you know, that this secondary character is in the story to do this one thing. Okay. Um, you know, and so they, they get more action, whereas your main character is, is more reactionary. And I thought, really? Main characters are too important to just be reaction. But as I write them, I, I think that's true, that I'm always like, what? What would Jolene do here? You know? Um, kind of reveal themselves to you along the way. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I kind of knew it at the beginning of Songbirds, like her, you know, jerk of a boyfriend, like he's his purpose in the story is to be a jerk yeah. right? and to he's irritate dimensional. <laughs> we yeah. all know people like that. Yeah. You know, he's, his purpose there is, is to look out for himself and to let Jolene down and, and to sort of keep her on her journey. And so, you know, you write to that, like, what's the most obnoxious thing someone could say in this situation. Yeah. And yeah. then it's like, yep, that's him. That's it right there. But Jolene has to sort of like emerge um, I've also heard that debut novels are, are really autobiographical. And so I, I would say that Jolene has a tendency to, to do what I personally would do. Okay. Um, you know, like we're both very, um, sort of quiet and people pleasing and see our value in society and to the people we love, 
in what we can do for them, not necessarily in some sort of intrinsic way. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very aware of that as I write Mercy, who's, you know, my next protagonist, that she shouldn't mm. be the same, right? And she, she isn't the same. She's stronger and uh, she's stronger than me. She's better than me. So, hmm. and I, I think that that maybe is a reflection of, you know, the fact that she has sort of, I don't want to say handicapped, but she has this, you know, birthmark on her face. And so she. Well, and it's very, it's the first thing people know about you in many cases is what you look right. like. And so, right. yeah, it, it's an identifier for her. Right. So. Well, but yes, yeah. that's, that's what I've got going on next. If, very cool. if I can, you know, <laughs> find some time. Yeah, well, it'll come. It'll come. Otherwise, you know, you'll be like looking at your family going, hold that thought. I'll be back in five minutes. Just wait. Just wait. Got to get this down. I keep telling myself because I have four weeks left in the semester and then I have like, you know, three weeks off over Christmas and I'm like, oh, that's, I'm going to do that during Christmas. I'm going to do that. Yeah, because there's Christmas. nothing else going on. That yeah. time I'm, so. I'm going to do it's that perfect. during Christmas. And my husband's like, um... You're going to do all that during Christmas? <laughs> yep, Watch sure. me. Yep. I'm not going to sleep, but I'm going to do all those things. Yeah. That's awesome, though. That's awesome, though. Well, we, I think we all live on those contingencies of what's around the corner. Yes. So, well, you've given some great nuggets of advice so far. Do you have any other thoughts on ways to encourage young authors or um, maybe young's not the word for it, but emerging authors that are looking for, you know, ways to learn how to stick with it or, you know, how to go about it. Oh, gosh. or any, and any writer really. Yeah. My, um, I, I think a couple of things I had to learn, um, was, was that it's work, right. Mm -hmm. That, um, you do it even when you don't feel inspired and, even when you don't feel like you have anything to say, you do it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And that it's much easier to fix something um, than you, you can't, you know, you can't fix a blank page. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's always, it's, it's way, way more work and way less romantic than <laughs> it sounds at the beginning. <laughs> uh, but something I'm still working on is developing some thick skin. And that's, yes. you know, that's one of the first sort of things I, I like to try to just warn, um, you know, emerging writers about that so much of it, and, and you know this because, you, you know, you've been an editor too, so much of, of whether or not someone is willing to take your story, you know, or publish you has so much to do with, you know, the other things on their plate that day yeah. or, or what else they have going on with that issue or what other books they have, you know, sitting in their slush pile. And so it's, you know, it's not, it's generally not really about you or even the quality of your work. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I, it's really funny. And you know, I, I talked to a, a publisher about who had, who had said no to songbirds, you know, kind of about why and, they sort of pointed at this other novel that's very similar to mine that they had already said yes to. And it was like, well, you know, you were perfect from, from my book, but that's, that's why we have this other book that's very similar to yours. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's kind of just the way, the way it works. But the, you know, the idea that, um, 
you have to sort of learn to put up that wall to know that it's not really about you, mm -hmm. but at the same time, remain open to the idea that your work isn't necessarily perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's a, a fine balance that's difficult to walk, right? That if, if you're getting the same feedback from people about what, you know, what they're getting confused with or what they're getting stuck on, or they wish it had more emotion or they wish it had more this or that. If you hear the same feedback from a lot of people that it's, there's value, right. you know, in that feedback too. And so it's really hard, I think, to, to not take it personally, but also remain open. Be open to, to the suggestions and recognizing, like you said, if something continually comes up that yes, there might be a problem and not be defensive about it. Right. You know, most people are not trying to hurt you. Like they're, yes. they're, most people are really trying to help you. I, and I found that in the, in the lit community that everyone is just so, so kind for, you know, for the most part and, and really so, so very helpful. I sent a piece that I, I wrote in Michigan um, to the Jellyfish Review and to, to Kathy Ulrich's um, new magazine, uh, milk, milk candy. And I got two rejections, but they were both so kind and so thoughtful. And, and, um, you know, so sometimes you hear no, and that's really hard, but yeah, you know, I think that in, in general, people are, are trying, are trying to help you. Yeah. And, and so I think that's, you know, that's something that, um, that writers can, can sort of struggle with even yeah. even like any creative struggles with yes. with being turned down or turned away and when it happens again and again you know yes. it's hard not to internalize it it's like telling you and you're having somebody walk up to you and say you have a really ugly baby but you don't <laughs> you know yes. that's what it feels like it is. yes yeah but, but then you can't help that feeling that comes along when somebody looks and says, oh, yes, that is absolutely what we need in this moment. Yes. And suddenly it's like, oh, okay. Yes. I, um, I, yesterday I tweeted, um, last, last night, I, I really struggled all day yesterday. My songbirds has, has, I've been very fortunate in that most of the reaction that I've, that I am aware of has been very positive that people in, in general seem to really enjoy the book. And so that's very exciting to me. Um, I got my first like sort of quasi negative review on Goodreads yesterday and um, it wasn't even terribly negative. It was just like, I don't know what everybody likes about this book. It's nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, you know, that's really <laughs> sad. You know, I think it's special. Some people think it's special, but I, there's plenty of books that I read that I don't think are special. And so I have to, you know, just sort of remind myself that not every book is, is for everyone. Right. Well, and it can be, I don't know, like grand historical literature that, you know, everybody goes on and on and you read it and you go, well, I don't see it. <laughs> You know, it just doesn't connect with you. And that's, right. that's okay. Not every book is forever. And so, you know, even after your publisher takes it and they love it and, you know, early reviewers like it and, you know, things are good and things are moving and you're like, yay. And then one reader is disappointed and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just really sorry that I disappointed you. <laughs> well, and you mentioned you want to please people and that makes yes, it hard yes, when you want to make people around you feel good and people you know, pleaser. Yeah, yeah, it's not you. It's not you. It was all them. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
they were having a bad day. (laughs) One of the things I like to do um, with poets is ask them or invite them, and I'm putting you on the spot, I'm pretty sure, because I don't think I warned you. Would you be willing to read a few pages? Oh, Sure. Or just just pick a pick something that you'd like to share. There's something about hearing the words in the author's own voice that I always find just so delicious. I love it. <laughs> oh, good, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Um. Well, I you know, I had a feeling we hadn't discussed. Okay. But I had a feeling, and so I'm gonna read um the first page. It's kind of a in, good introduction to Jolene, I think. Okay. Um, so this takes place in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, in June of 1982. Jolene stared out the passenger window, her hands fisted next to the spread of her thighs, holding apologies in her mouth. The car rocked violently, up then down, hard. Her head hit the headrest and the tender flesh of her lower lip crunched between her crooked teeth. Warm fluid filled her mouth, pulling hot and rusty under her tongue. She needed to spit. She longed to pull out her lip and survey the damage, but there wasn't time. Aunt Rachel was in a hurry, racing over the pothole downtown streets. She was going to be late for her prayer meeting. She was doing Jolene a favor by dropping her off. Years of favors had worn Rachel's patience thin. Jolene imagined each one a straw in a pile. She didn't know which one would be the end, so she rationed herself, asking only for Rachel's help when there was no other way. Jolene couldn't handle the roll of her aunt's eyes or the accompanying sigh, the inconvenience of Jolene's pain. If she kept her lips pressed tightly together, she could wait until her aunt stopped the car to spit out the blood. It was simple. She just needed to keep her mouth closed. Jolene could hear her aunt's gasps and moans as the bottom of her old beater scraped the uneven pavement. Rachel hadn't noticed Jolene's squeak of pain, nor her silence. The silence wasn't new. Y'all are going to a movie, she asked. These nice girls you're meeting, do I know them? Church girls, right? Jolene looked at her aunt to see if there were questions she had to answer. She found Rachel's brown eyes on her, so she nodded. That seemed to be enough. Rachel turned back to the road, but not before another pothole rocked the car. Jolene's mouth throbbed. Her lips felt swollen hot. She ran her tongue against the broken meat and couldn't help but think about the fragility of skin, of bones and blood. You could break your body with something that grew inside you. You could self-destruct. The only thing to stop you was pain. Sometimes, she thought, pain wouldn't be enough. That's the first page, and of course... There's lots left in front of Jolene, but it kind of, I think, gives you a feeling a little bit for what she's like. And Absolutely. It really sets the stage relationally right. with her aunt. Yep, and introduces you to her relationship with her aunt. And yeah. Well, thank you for reading that. Um, oh, like you. I said, I love listening to writers read their own work because it adds something to it. And then when I go back and reread the novel which I tend to do for things that I like. I always go back to them. Then I'll hear your voice. It'll be great. Oh, that's cool. You know, it's funny. Um, prose writers don't do a lot of reading, right, of, of their own work the way that poets do. And so um, I have some 
poet brothers, I call them, that we're all published on the same press, uh, Benjamin Cutler and, and Andrew mm-hmm. K. Clark, and they've taught me so much about reading and being dynamic and taking my time because like my sort of like instinct is to race and, and, you know, read aloud as quickly as I, I read in my head. And uh, both those guys really taught me like, this is a performance. And I was like, Oh yeah, poets, poets know these things. <laughs> well, some of them do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd like to ask you to share with the listeners places they can find you and find your work online. Cool. Um, maybe let's see. Also talk a little bit more about Baron just quickly um, for those who might not be familiar with it because you're the fiction editor there and mm-hmm. that's an online publication. Mm-hmm. So if you want to share a little bit about that and then. Sure. Uh, Baron is uh, a online lit mag and we are free to read and free uh, to submit to. And we really love honesty. I would say um, we're looking for truths um, and we're not afraid of grit um, and, and hard truth and um, things that are difficult. Uh, I would say, in, in fact, that's what we sort of enjoy about, about <laughs> writing um, is, you know, it's, it's sort of unblinking ability to sort of address those things. Barrenmagazine.com. We are open for submissions all the time. We just roll them over. We would love to see, anyone's work. We take uh, photography and creative nonfiction and flash fiction. So that's fewer than a thousand words. We take short fiction from a thousand to 4,000 words and we take poetry and um, we publish uh, every six, six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Another issue of kind of gritty darlings, you know, (laughs) little delectable nuggets. And I came to to join Baron because I had a story published there. And um, I just loved what Jason Ramsey was doing um, with the magazine. And so I I I joined as the fiction editor and it's just a wonderful position and we have just a great team and we truly love writers. You know, I think we are all writers and so we love writers and we try to treat writers the way that we like to be treated. It's, you know, not a factory. It's as sort of as personal and um, as high touch as, as it can get. And so it's, it's been really one of my biggest joys this past year has been um, my ability to really get to know and become friends with so many writers uh, because they either submit to Baron a lot or they read Baron a lot or, or, um, you know, we have a lot of back and forth. So that's, so that's wonderful. So Baron Magazine and Baron Like a Desert, B-A-R-R-E-N yeah. um, Magazine. But if people want to find me, I have a website. It's MeganLucas.com and my parents are difficult and spelled my first name weird. So it's M-E-A-G-A-N Lucas.com. Uh, but my husband is kind of um, an online marketing genius. And if you Google Megan Lucas writer, really like any spelling or songbirds and stray dogs, you, you will find me. Um, good, good. Yeah. He's awesome that way. So my website will, will lead you to, I have a Facebook page. Um, I on Twitter far too often. If any of your <laughs> listeners are on Twitter, that is a really um, easy way to find me. And it's uh, just Megan Lucas without any vowels. So M G N L C S. 
but I, you know, I love uh, talking with people and, and distracting myself <laughs> from writing <laughs> with, with social media. You know, uh, I try the Instagram. I, I notice that as people get older, they start putting the in front of things they don't understand. <laughs> so, like, the Instagram. The Instagram. Um, the Google. The Google. <laughs> that book face thing. Um, but I, I try to be on Instagram, but I'm just not very visually artistic. And so, you know. Well, I would beg to differ. You've posted oh, some good images. Oh, you're very kind. <laughs> but, so, you know, it's mostly just like selfie central over there at, on Instagram. But I like to um, talk a lot about books that I'm reading you know, which I think is, oh, that's another good hint for writers, literary citizenship, right? It's really important um, to read and read at the level that you're writing, you know, so um, if you like to read literary fiction, read literary fiction and read writers who you enjoy and, and are aspirational um, to you. But I have found so many amazing connections in the writing community just because I was tweeting or posting about what I was reading and what I was mm. loving. And, you know, then other people do the same, the same for you. Yeah. Now, what, what are you reading right now? Do you have any good recs for the listeners out there? Right now, um, I'm reading uh, Juliet the Maniac by uh, Juliet Escoria. And it is super interesting. It, it's about a, a very young woman who is struggling with sort of the onset of, of mental illness. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just fascinating. I haven't, I think that it's possibly a memoir. It's like one of those ones where you're like, I'm not sure if this is fiction or maybe fictionalized memoir, but because the author's name is Juliet and the character's name is Juliet. Um, but it's really interesting. But my favorite book of the year is Lights All Night Long by Lydia Fitzpatrick. And we, I was lucky enough to be on a panel with her and so I read her book and it's just, it's stunning. It's the story of um, a, a Russian boy who um, is a, he's not an immigrant. He's a, an exchange student to the United States and he ends up in um, like a little town in, in Louisiana. And there's just such depth to it. It's so cool that what she's able, what Lydia is able to accomplish with um, the story that she's telling now, but also the backstories of these characters. And they're just so, it's so timely. I think mm -hmm. the discussion of immigration and um, other, other countries and other, what it's like to live in another country and how other countries view America is, is really fascinating. Um, and Lydia has lots of ties to Russia. And so it's, it's very um, clear that she knows what she's talking about. Um, but lights all night long. I, honestly, it just knocked me off my chair. It was so good. Good to know. I'm going to write that on my to read list. There you go. You should. It's really yeah. good. I also found out on the panel because her, her bio says that she lives in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And her husband's a, a big fancy movie producer or whatever. And she was reading the back of my book and she's like, oh, Hendersonville, I live there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You live there. <laughs> I live there. And she lives in Hendersonville like two months out of the year in the summer. And I was like, that's so cool. We'll go for margaritas next summer. And so it's go. always nice to sort of like, you know, find, as soon as you start talking to authors, you realize that, you know, they're just like regular people and yeah. they, you know, 
their lives will cross over with yours in in ways that you had sort of no idea. Yeah. Well, and you realize the world is a little smaller than you thought. Yes. Yes. Well, with that, I want to thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I love this book, but more importantly, I liked meeting you kind of quote unquote face to face. It was a real treat. And I just appreciate you spending some time with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. One final reminder, you can find Megan at MeganLucas.com, on Instagram at MeganLucasAuthor, all one word, and on Twitter at MGNLCS. Make sure you take a minute to seek her out, give her a follow, and say hi. That's it for today. Thank you for joining me here on PoetKind. I know there are so many things that call for your time and attention, and if you've spent a few minutes here, just thank you. PoetKind exists because of the support you listeners have shown through encouragement, reviews, and I cannot stress enough how important those are, and the formation of relationships that has happened through this podcast. I am grateful to be here, and even more so for each of you. I firmly believe that we are stronger together, that it is okay to compare notes, but not okay to compare ourselves. Let's work together to create a space of welcome, of grace, and of support for the creative endeavors that have the capacity to make this world a better place. I say it in our name, but let's write kind, paint kind, create kind, poet kind, but above all, be kind. Until next time, Thank you and enjoy the rest of this day.